to yet another week of Behind the Lens. I can't believe that here we are almost at the end of July. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. And you can find my movie reviews and interviews in print and online in the U.S. and abroad. Uh, and yes, that means around the globe. But every Monday, you can find me right here live on Adrenaline Radio, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. For all of our returning listeners, welcome back. For our new listeners, we hope you enjoy the show where we go behind the lens and below the line talking about big films, small films, directors, writers, composers, web series, uh, screenwriting, you name it. And we're going to talk about it uh, in one way or another. This week, I am thrilled. We've got two incredible guests. One I'm very extremely excited about. We have joining us Dustin Guy DeFay uh, at the half hour mark. Dustin is writer, director, and editor of a new film that is opening this Friday, Person to Person, that boasts a cast of Benny Cooper Smith, Michael uh, Sarah, Philip My- uh, Baker Hall, Michaela Watkins. Um, it is absolutely charming. It has a Seinfeld esque quality to it, takes place in the course of a day in Brooklyn. And uh, we're going to get into detail with Dustin about the making of Person to Person at the half hour mark. But before Dustin, we have the one and only Ed Bagley Jr. Uh, Ed originally was going to do last week's show along with Mary Lou Henner. Mary Lou uh, did do the show as they're both co-starring in a new film together called Imperfections. But as luck would have it, Ed was out on a shoot. He had to go work. But we get Ed today, and even making it even more exciting today, having Ed on the show, is not only can we talk about imperfections, but we can talk about the big announcement from Hulu that came out on, I believe, Friday, where they have picked up the entire St. Elsewhere television series and will begin airing that on Hulu sometime soon. And as you all know, Ed Bagley Jr., that was one of the biggest series in his very storied and very lengthy career. Uh, it also teamed him up with a dear friend of, of mine and of all the TCM classic film fans out there, Norman Lloyd. So I can't wait to talk to Ed about that. And as some of you may recall, before the TCM Film Festival, um, I had a chance to interview Norm for <clears throat> at a special Hitchcock screening presentation Uh hosted by KCET. And speaking of KCET, uh, they've got a big tie-in with Ed this week as well, because not only does Ed have his film Imperfections opening on Friday, not only is Hulu going to start airing St. Elsewhere, but Ed is one of the, I guess, chairs or founders of the first annual Earth Focus Environmental Film Festival. Uh, Very, very exciting. Uh, As many of you know, Ed is a huge environmentalist and has been since before it was fashionable to be environmentally correct. And I love it. Pam is sound engineering today and she is she's she's in the booth and she's nodding her head up and down. She knows Ed. She knows his environmental work. And I'm sure that our station owner, Nick Federoff, also knows Ed's work. Nick is also the creator and host and All Things Guru of Things Green, which airs here on Adrenaline Radio as well. Uh, but So this is very exciting to get to talk to Ed about Imperfections, the first annual Earth Focus Environmental Film Festival, which is being presented in conjunction with KCET, uh, St. Elsewhere. Ed also has another movie coming out uh, within the next couple weeks, Lucky, with Harry Dean Stanton, uh, David Lynch, and one of my favorites... James Darren. Uh, So we're going to get to all of that when Ed calls in in another few minutes. But before then, something I want to put out there, a lot of the classic film fans that follow me on social media 
Follow Alicia Mayer on social media. Some of you may recognize the last name of Mayer. Yes, it is Mayer, as in Louis B. Mayer and Metro Goldwyn Mayer. Culver City uh, is currently in the midst of celebrating its centennial. Kicked off last September with a big parade and a lot of hoopla. And it will conclude this September 20th, the date of incorporation uh, by Harry Culver 100 years ago with uh, presentations, a time capsule, uh, which we are in the process of putting together. Yes, I know it shocks some of you. I am on the time capsule committee. I'm doing something civic. Um, But it's still film related because as part and parcel to the time capsule, Alicia Mayer, who is the keeper of the flame for the Mayer and MGM legacy, who has thousands and thousands of photos, memorabilia, She doesn't live in the United States. She happens to be coming here next week. And she has very graciously, not only is she donating some mayor artifacts to include in Culver City's time capsule, but she will be doing a presentation at the Veterans Auditorium on Sunday, August the 6th at 2 p.m. It's a QA and a presentation. I will be moderating with Alicia, and uh, she's going to delve into show you never-before-seen photos, um, talk about the history of MGM, the history of the Mayer family. It's not just the Mayer family, because there's the Mayer family. There is the Cummings family, which Louis B.'s sister, Ida, married into, uh, which is the strain that uh, Alicia comes off of. And also the Selznick family married in. So that's why so many of those of those great films from the 30s that we all know and love, such as Gone with the Wind, it is MGM and David O. Selznick. And, of course, MGM is at the corner of Overland and Culver Boulevard, and David O. Selznick's studios, now the Culver Studios, is less than a mile up the road uh, at uh, on Washington Boulevard. So it's it's a wonderful dynamic that does go back 100 years. And it really did put Culver City on the map, hearkening to its motto, the heart of Screenland. So tickets are available, still available for the event on August the 6th with Alicia Mayer. It's going to be a fabulous, fabulous presentation uh, with, as I said, slideshows. We're going, she's going to actually bring photos that will be on display for people to see and there's going to be a giveaway. She's very generously giving away 10 prints from one of the rarest photographs in the Mayer collection uh, to 10 lucky people. So if you're interested, tickets are $10. You can also get them at the door or you can buy them in advance. Go to http colon double backslash culvercity100.org. And click on events, and then you'll see the Alicia Mayer presentation. Um, knowing Alicia, knowing the detail, uh, knowing much of, of the history, uh, I guarantee you, you're going to be riveted, you're going to be fascinated by what she brings to the table. And for anybody who lives in Culver City or the Los Angeles area, this really is an event not to be missed. And it is it's something that's very historically significant. Because it's not often you get somebody with this much personal knowledge who is willing to sit down and talk about their family and the history of an industry that kind of was built upon their family. So keep that in mind. I'll remind you again next week. But please, anybody in the L.A. area, you are more than welcome to come. It's going to be fun. Two o'clock, August 6th. And you can tweet to me if you have questions, BTL Radio Show. Uh, And, oh, look at that. Pam is already, her little fingers have already typed because we have our our very special first guest on the line. Hello, Ed Bagley Jr. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me on. How are you doing? I am fine, Ed. This is, this is, I don't know if, uh, if publicist if kim told you i'm so excited to have you on the show today i mean this this well i'm elated to be with you 
This is, and for me, you know, talking to somebody named Ed, it's like my dad's name was Ed, my brother is Ed, my nephew is Ed, you know. It, it's, it's, it's very comfortable. <laughs> it's a damn fine name, I say. It sure is. Well, something else that is damn fine is this, you're on a roll right now, Ed. I mean, you've got Imperfections opening this Friday. The premiere is Thursday night. Saturday, you've got the first annual Earth Focus Environmental Film Festival down at the Egyptian. That's correct. And That's correct. Hulu just announced they have picked up the entire series of St. Elsewhere that they're going to start airing. I can't wait to see that wonderful show again. I haven't seen that in a few years. Oh, my God. Hey, I'll see anything that has you and Norm Lloyd together. I, I love Norm. I love that man. You have good taste in his case. He's a, amazing. He's a force of nature. Oh, and you know, and I know over the years you have talked very, very fondly and lovingly about Norm. And, I mean, you come out of an acting family, but then you step into something, an act, a, a role possibly of a lifetime, and you work with Norm Lloyd. I mean, that, How lucky am I? Oh, I'll tell you, any of us that know Norm, we all know how lucky you are, Ed. <laughs> yep. But, you know, and the things that you learned in, in doing a series have taken, I know, have taken you on to bigger and better things. And now you have this absolutely fabulous film opening on Friday, Imperfections. It's so good. David Singer is so talented. The film is wonderful. I've seen it. I love it. I'm just proud to be part of it. You know, Mary Lou was on the show last week, and she also loves it. And this was a reunion for the two of you, because you had worked before. On Party Down. That was a fine show, and uh, didn't last as long as any of us hoped, but it was sure good. What a cast in that as well. Yeah, and your role in Imperfections, because I've seen it, and I just I just think it's absolutely wonderful. And you get to pl- you get to be a jewelry store owner with a gemologist of all things. How that's how- right. <laughs> and I have to tell you, having worked in jewelry stores, putting myself through high school and and college, you know that's it's a specialty. And there's and you, there's finesse to dealing with stones and dealing w- with the business. And I got to say. You had the mannerisms and the persona down perfectly. Well, thank you so much. I sure loved working on that movie, and I, I'm something of an expert. I've been buying jewelry for a while for my uh, two beautiful wives. I was married once before, and my first wife liked jewelry, and so does my second wife. So I've, I bought some jewelry in my day, so I've <laughs> learned a bit doing that, of course. <laughs> you know, I'm... I'm curious, how much did it help you inform your character? Um, because the wonderful character of Barry worked works in the jewelry store, and you actually shot in a working, functioning jewelry store in the Diamond District in Chicago. He did. It was so generous to that gentleman to let us use his place there. We're right under the L there on what street is I can't remember the Diamond District there, and, the, you know, it was... We were shooting in the loop the whole time and had a great time. I love Chicago. Great people, great food. And David Singer's from Chicago, so it was wonderful on every level. Well, you know, the important question here is you're you're in an actual jewelry store in the Diamond District. Did you pick up any trinkets for your wife? I didn't. <gasps> I was on a strict budget. I uh, We were building a house at the time that we've now finally moved into. We were in the middle of building at the time, so my wife said... Don't buy me any jewelry. <laughs> well, I have to I say... I restrain myself. Well, you know, I don't know if I could have had that restraint, but when I look at your house, because I'm always popping onto your website to see what you're doing environmentally. And Thank you. I saw the video of your new lead home. Ed, this is fabulous. It turned out very nice. I'm very happy with it. Oh, my God. How, because, you know, you do have the festival coming up this week, and because you are a champion of the environment, and have been since long before it became fashionable, shall we say, um, you know, what, you know, you have so many components. Would you mind talking about some of the components of your new home? Because I found it fascinating, built of steel, and you've got the six-inch steel, a two-inch gap with installation, 
another four inches of steel and all the uh, just amazing workmanship and things that I don't normally hear talked about by contractors in building. No, you don't. And, you know, I knew that a lot of it would work because I, that a, not of it, I knew that a lot of it was going to work because I had tried it before. I've certainly had solar hot water since 1985. I knew that would work. I knew that the solar electric would work. I've had solar you know, electric panels on my house since 1990. But then there was some new stuff like this kind of passive solar design. I'd never had a passive solar designed house before. And with the thickness of the walls to have a house with 12 inches of thickness in the walls and all those different layers you so eloquently stated, you know, it, it was it just fantastic. Uh, it worked so well. It really uses very little energy to heat or cool the house. And the air conditioners themselves, the heating and air units, are super efficient. They have what's called a SEER rating. That's like the miles per gallon rating, if you will, of the heating or air unit. That SEER rating is very, very high. So uh, I, knew, I knew that the solar would work. I knew that, you know, insulation worked, but I had never tried this foam insulation before. And then I also tried uh, a gray water system that works very well just by gravity, goes down to the fruit trees. I had something called Act on Demand, which is a circulating pump for the hot water. But it only works when you go into the room. When you go into the room, it turns on that pump, and it makes sure that you have hot water ready at the top so you're not doing what most people do in any home. I've done in every home I've ever lived in. You want hot water, you turn on the tap and wait 30 seconds. You know, and there's 30 seconds of wasted water if you don't put it in a bucket or something. That works through a motion detector. When you go in the room, the circulating pump comes on, brings it right to the tap, ready to use. Then the other thing that we had, we didn't know that it would work, and it works very, very well, is a rainwater tank. It works fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's a 10,000-gallon rainwater tank because we've been in a drought here for years. We got relief last wet season uh, for one year, but we don't know what next year is going to be. That works very well. And then the last thing, which is really bold, we just tried. We have a small lap pool. My wife wanted a pool. Mm-hmm. And so there was a pool here. We made it not bigger, but smaller, and to use less water. And we had no space left for heating of the pool with solar. <laughs> and I certainly wasn't going to use natural gas to heat it. So where do we put the solar? We had no real estate left up on our roof. There was no space, not a square foot left to put more panels. We put the solar hot water for the pool on the back of the photovoltaic panels because wow. they get very hot you know, because they're dark. They're very dark panels. Mm-hmm. So the back of them gets nearly as hot as the front, and that's where the heat comes to heat the pool. Super efficient. Damned if that doesn't work like a charm. Wow. You know, I mean, as I watched, as I was watching your videos, and I'm looking, at, and I love the on-demand idea because, as you said, every single one of us, we go and we go into the bathroom, especially for a shower. You're turning the water yep. on, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. You're waiting. And it's and it's funny you mentioned the buckets because I know years ago my grandparents, who both came in the early 1900s from Germany, they were all very very environmentally conscious and. Growing up at the Jersey Shore with them, I mean, always, when you turn the water on the tub, there was a bucket underneath the faucet yep. to, to, cap, to capture the water, which would then go be dumped into the toilet or be used to wash dishes in the sink, or even because it was clean water for brushing our teeth or something. But so, I, you know, I think back when I see all of these things that you have in your house and I see what environmentalists recommend. I think back to things that my grandparents were doing their entire lives. It all came from my parents and ultimately my dad. My dad was a conservative that liked to conserve. We turned off the water, turned off the lights, saved strings, saved tinfoil. You know, he was the son of Irish immigrants. He had lived through the Great Depression. So all this green stuff that I started to really put into a stronger practice in 1970 with the first Earth Day, he had started me on as I was a young child. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that's where I get a lot of my conservation outlook, too, is from my grandparents. And my father, ironically, he worked for the ABC affiliate in Philly for 60 years. And Michael Eisner once called him the, quote, unquote, cheapest man on the planet because it was, his, it was his belief everything, equipment, electronics, everything could be recycled. Everything could be repaired. You don't waste anything. I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
But, you know, how let me ask about how you what you're going to be talking about at the Earth Focus Environmental Festival at the Egyptian on the 29th, because I know you're introducing the film Water and Power, a California heist uh, about the wonderful California water barons <clears throat> in quotes. <laughs> yes. Well, let me tell you, first of all. The DWP has changed a lot. This is a film about the history of the DWP and where we stand now. They've gotten a great deal of enlightenment. There's been a great deal of improvement. They're supporting solar power in a big way now. They will give you subsidies to put solar on your rooftop. They're proud to hook it up with grid connection, what have you. It wasn't like that quite recently. As recently as the 1990s, when I put in my solar electric system in 1990, it was either or. I could be on the grid or I could be on my solar with my batteries to back it up, but they, they didn't accept my power. That's a different day now. They, they want and need my clean power. They're getting off coal and getting a lot of power, but now let's talk about water. And that's the large portion of what this is about, about the theft of water from the Owens Valley, the people in Lone Pine and Inyo County there, all those people uh, that really had their whole world changed radically and not for the better by the amount of water that left the Owens Valley and came down to L.A. You mm-hmm. know, Mulholland was in one hand a genius, but what they did was nothing short of skullduggery to go in and secretly buy all that land as supposed individuals when there was a cabal that was set up to work together to, you know, use all that, those separate parcels they put together as part of a watershed, gather land and transport the, uh, you know, to transport that water, to gather the water and transport the water by gravity only, there was no pumps used, by the way, mm-hmm. all the way down to the San Fernando Valley, which spilled into the valley and then was available to the rest of Los Angeles. In, in fact, they even gained some electricity from it. Not only did they not use electricity to pump it over the hill, they gained some. At the end, there was a spillway, and they used some of that water to generate some power for L.A. So the people were really robbed in the Owens Valley, and it's a story about that and that unfortunate history that now is finally beginning to change. Mm-hmm. I know that's one of the ones that I definitely want to see on Saturday. I'm, I'm trying to plan my schedule so I can be there to see some of these films because I think they're so important. And they're free screenings, too. That's right. All anybody has to do is log on to KCET and they can ask for free tickets, which I think yep. is, is amazing. Now, how, because I know... I'm going to be there. Please come. And, you know, well, another thing that you're going to be at this week, um, because I understand you're going to be at the premiere Thursday night for Imperfections. Correct. At the Lemley in Santa Monica. So you're going to be at that. You're not going to be at the premiere of the film festival that's at Paramount at the Sherry Lansing Theater showing uh, Al Gore's new film. Sadly, I will not be there for that, but I've seen that wonderful movie. I recommend that everybody... See, it's the sequel to An an Inconvenient Truth, and a lot of uh, progress has been made to stem climate change, but a lot of additional, uh, you know, uh, compromise has occurred in Miami and elsewhere. A lot of unfortunate events have begun to unfold uh, as, as regards climate change, and you only need to go to Miami to see what's going on there. They have some footage of that that's quite alarming. Wow. I know, yeah, that's on my radar to see an inconvenient sequel, Truth to Power. But now, how hard of a decision was it for you to decide whether to go to your premiere at the Lemley Monica of Imperfections or to go to the kickoff of the Environmental Film Festival at Paramount? That had to be a It was kick- a tough decision. It was, uh, Debbie, but I, I, you know, had promised, I'm trying to be a grown-up, I had promised uh, David Singer first, and so I didn't want to, uh, you know, bow out. I'm going to dance with him that brung me, and he did this wonderful movie that I'm in, and I want to be there for him at the Lemley. So I encourage people to go to either event. They're both going to be great events. Well, and if people, you know, the best thing to do, I think, come to the Lemley Monica, see Imperfections. On Saturday, go to the Egyptian and see you there and the great lineup of environmental films that will be at the Egyptian on Saturday. That's a great twofer. That's a good idea. Yeah. Now, will you be uh, down there? Because I understand that at the festival, the Egyptian, there are going to be certain um, 
organizations are going to be on display before the before the screenings start and during the day. Will Greenwish have any uh, booze there? Because I know you're part of Greenwish. Sharon Lawrence, who's going to be introducing a film later in the day, is. Um, or I'm pretty sure they'll have a presence there, but there'll be some wonderful uh, other, you know, people. I believe there'll be people there from Friends of the Los Angeles River. There'll be lots of green groups, L.A. groups, and uh, groups uh, that are uh, national groups and what have you. So come by and get an education and have a good time watching some very entertaining, very entertaining movies, and uh, it'll be a nice time for all. You know, how do you find time to do all that you do, Ed? Because you're always working in addition to imperfection. Last week, I know you were called out on a shoot, which is why I got lucky enough to have you this week um, and not share you with Mary Lou. Um, But you also have the film, you're in the film Lucky, that's about to come out in another few weeks with Harry Dean Stanton, James Darren, David Lynch. You know, you're always working tv film you're doing all your environmental work where do you find time to fit everything in well you have to have some quiet time too you have to have some medit- meditation or some form of serenity in your life and there's a an eastern philosophy saying that's quite profound is don't just do something stand there and there's a time for action and i'll certainly be there to march with others on earth day and other important times there's plenty of time and need for action, but there also must be some time, uh, some quiet time to recharge and, and ponder what you're about to do and to think it through carefully. Is there anything that you do specifically to get away from the hustle and bustle of work and from activism? Other than doing something meditative and, and personal like that, do you travel? Do you go anywhere? And, of course, I'm sure if you travel, you help spread the environmental word. I've traveled a good deal in my life, and so when I'm called upon to do something that's quite urgent, I will travel. But other than that, I don't want to use the jet fuel or the Prius fuel to get there. So I stay close to home. My idea of a great weekend or vacation is to just stay home and work in my garden and spend time in my yard. And I'm very lucky to have a lovely home that's quite sustainable. And so my idea of the best time ever is to be at my house. So I have to ask you, are you going to post any new videos of how big your fruit trees are getting? I have to do that. You're right. I've got to update, get some new videos. So thanks for reminding me. I'm going to get on that. (laughs) I'm looking at all these beautiful things, you know, that are being, you know, watered through your gray water system. And it's like, I wonder how, I wonder how they're doing. That's, that's what I thought as I was watching. So I I want to see new ones. They're going to. Uh, they're doing very well, and I'm going to get new videos up. Thanks for telling me. You know, will you be writing another book anytime soon? Not anytime soon. I'm just too busy. This year, this month of this year marks 50 years in show business, half mm-hmm. a century, and I've never been so busy. So I'm, I'm going to try to balance between the amount of work I have to do before me, uh, acting work, and then my environmental work, and being a, a big part of my daughter's upbringing my uh, wonderful daughter Hayden and spent a lot of time with my lovely wife Rochelle and so uh, I'm very lucky to have all the things I do in my life and uh, I'm going to cherish them. Well I know we're very lucky to have you Ed Bagley. I, I mean you are you have been such a gift to everybody for the past 50 years. I, I still think back to one one of my most memorable films that I saw you in was Protocol with with Goldie Hawn. Uh, oh, she's wonderful in that movie. That's a fine film. Thanks for mentioning that. To this day, that is still one of my go-to films at two o'clock in the morning. And if I can't, if I, you know, just want something to watch because it makes me happy, it makes me feel good. That's one of my one of my five or six go-to films. Is always Protocol. And until it came out, that's great on, to hear. For the, I actually wore out my VHS tape and actually had to kind of glue and splice to preserve it wow. until the until the film came out on, on DVD. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say, but no, but you is there anything now that you look for in an acting role? I mean, here you are, you work with David Singer in this wonderful role and you play opposite Mary Lou. You work with Ashton Holmes. 
it's a charming small film, but at the same time, here you go and you and you show up in Chips, you show up in, in Ghostbusters. Is there a criteria that you have for what you look for? I try to work with friends. Working with friends right now, I'm doing a movie right this minute, uh, this week and last week, called Book Club. I play Candace Bergen's ex-husband. I love Candace. And uh, Jane Fonda's in it, and Diane Keaton's in it, and Mary Steenburgen's in it, and uh, Wallace Shawn is in it, and Richard Dreyfuss is in it. So they're all friends. I get to work with my friends. That's a big plus, working with your friends. I'm working with, even if I didn't know all those people, I'd want to work with them anyway, working with talented people. Yeah. So that's my criteria. Good, a good script, start with good material, a good director, then a good cast, and you're going to have a good time. You know, what was it about David's script for Imperfections that, that caught your eye? It was so smart and so funny, you know. had a great sense of humor, and it had some very unusual, wonderful dialogue, different and wonderful. So I was drawn to it, and I liked the story of everything that happened to the, the characters. So uh, it was a go right away when I heard about that one. I mean, the third act, I mean, has such a twist in there with your character and also with Ashton Holmes, who plays your son, Alex. I, it, I didn't see that big twist coming, and I was just roaring as I'm watching it, mouth agape at the look on your face and the exasperation <laughs> with your son. And I just thought it was just, it was fabulous. Thank you. He's a wonderful actor. Ashton is so good. Virginia's wonderful. To work with them was a delight, and David is a dream beyond words. Well, Ed, I can't thank you enough for joining me today on Behind the Lens. This has been a real joy, and I'm actually going to see you Thursday night. I will be on the red carpet for your premiere. Well, make sure and say hello. We'll talk to you. I definitely will. Ed, thank you so much. Thank you. And I hope you'll, I hope you'll join me on the show again sometime. I will, Debbie. Count on. Thanks, Ed. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Ed Bagley Jr. His new film, Imperfections, is out this Friday at the Lemley Monica in the Los Angeles area and other places as well. Uh, you can actually, the, Imperfections has a website, and I can't remember if it's imperfectionsfilm.com. But it's also on Facebook, on Twitter, and all of the screening schedules and theaters are there. And, of course, the first annual Earth Focus Environmental Film Festival will be all day at the Egyptian on Saturday the 29th. It is free. You can get tickets. KCET. Just log on to their website and sign up for your tickets. I think there are four films throughout the day. So, and now, I am thrilled to introduce now, Dustin Guy DeFay. Welcome to Behind the Lens, Dustin. Hello. Hi. Welcome. How are you? I'm good, yeah. Well, I have to say, something else that's, that's really good is this little film called Person to Person. What a charming film. Thanks. <laughs> there, you have, there's a warmth to the film. There's a timeless nature to it. You even have, there's actually a collegial sense about the different actors and the, and the storylines that you have going on. It is just, it's, you know, you just sit there and you watch it and it's enjoyable. That, I mean, that it is pure enjoyment watching the film. Thanks. I mean, yeah, I definitely wanted this to be a very enjoyable movie. Very, um, I mean, somewhat fun movie, but also, yeah, I, it's a, I want it to be a very friendly movie. You know, I you had done a, a short film back in 2014, Person to Person, which was the precursor to this feature. How did you go about taking your story from, and your main character of Benny, who we see again in your feature... Um, how did you go about expanding that short to now encompass this multiplicity of lives and, and paths that we see unfolding with person to person? 
Um, yeah, well, it was never my uh, intention to make the short um, into a feature. I had um, I, uh, I I wanted to work with Benny again, and um, the feature wasn't actually. Uh, I, I actually don't even consider it necessarily a complete extension of the short. I always consider them to be two different pieces, mm-hmm. uh, two different works. Um, uh, and, and originally, the feature had been called a different title. So, uh, uh, but I always knew, you know, that that the, they would have the same sort of feeling, the same sort of vibe, and that Benny. Being the the you know the the common denominator of the two things, um, but you know now that the movie's called Person to Person, it does seem like an, an intentional kind of thing. Um, but I did want to work with Benny again, and I wanted to work with a lot of uh, I wanted to have a lot of people. I wanted to sort of get the uh, a feeling of of how I feel about New York and how many different kinds of people are here, and um, and and you know the sort of interconnectedness of New York. Even if people don't know each other, there or even never meet, there still feels like there's a the city feels like a uh, a very interconnected city in that way. So, um, so yeah, I started developing. Uh, I started developing that way, wanting to have as many kinds of people as I could into the movie, and still have it be a cohesive um, um, work. And uh, and uh, yeah, and to keep that vibe going that I had that I had uh, in the short film. Well, and something that you really do, you anchor, you anchor the the feature in the character of Benny, played by Benny Cooper Smith, and he is absolutely wonderful. And, you know, a record collector, and he loves music. It's not just he collects records. He loves music. He loves vinyl. Um, and there he is. He's, he's got a roommate that he's helping out. Then you break this out. We've got a murder mystery going on with a reporter and a little cub intern. Uh, you know, just so much. You have so many moving parts here. And dare I say, so many moving parts, just like a watch that is key to this murder mystery. Yeah, I, I, I it's about having uh, all those moving parts and the challenge of that in some way. Um, and ha- yeah, and, and yeah, I have like there's like speaking roles in the movie. Um, I wanted each of those, each of those small characters, even if they pop up, and I want to have a you know a, a, a life of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and to keep the story sort of, uh, uh, you know, the stories don't necessarily weave together, but there's a, I want it to feel uh, very cohesive and to keep those, uh, all, yeah, uh, somehow it seems sort of easy and effortless, even though it won't work. You know, how did you go about deciding on the, the individual storylines that you would have? I mean, the one involving the murder and a watch, and you've got Philip Baker Hall in there as the watchmaker, Jimmy, and Michaela Watkins as the grieving widow. Um, and then that brings in our reporters, played by Michael Sarah and Abby Jacobson. You know, you have that beautiful story going. You have Benny's story going of getting swindled on a record. But he's also looking out for his roommate Ray. You know, how did you develop each of the individual stories? Were they based on people that you knew, stories that you had heard, circumstances? Because they're each so unique. Yeah, I mean, they're all made up, and you know, I mean, you know, you hear filmmakers say that you know that you know their characters are at least slices of of themselves, um, and that's true. That's definitely true in this case. Um, I mean, like with the Abby character, uh, being a reporter, I've definitely had jobs that I don't fit in in and try, I'm trying to squeeze myself into jobs that I, you know, that I don't belong in. Um, and, uh, so all around, uh, there's like there, but I, I developed them. Um, I, I, you know, again, I wanted very, very different from each other, all the storylines and all the people. And yet, uh, to make it cohesive enough and uh, make everything work, uh, I developed them with, uh, you know, they're, Levels of desire, or the desire to connect with other. Um, so yeah, like Benny, you know, he has his connections. His this woman who he's falling in love with, and his friend. He's just trying to keep that connection again. And, you know, his roommate has lost this connection with him, and, and uh, he knows he's made a very bad mistake by breaking that connection back. Then with the Wendy character. The teenager played by Toby Gevinson. Uh, uh, you know, this is the end of a. This is the end of action that's very important to her. But it, it, and she's also making a new connection with somebody else. Um, so I, I, that that was how it, uh, having different levels of connection. Uh, not some of them not people and other people having them. Um, and that's how I. Do, yeah, that's how. I, 
uh, all, all sort of all together, all uh, uh, working sort of like everything to sort of work with each each kind of tone and each kind of character. Well, and and getting everything to work with tone and character, a lot of that falls on your casting. Your casting, I think, is absolutely fabulous. And a real standout for me is Abby Jacobson as our little cub reporter intern, Claire. She is outstanding here. How did you how did you find Abby? Well, you know, I'm a giant fan of Broad City, which is such a a, a, a great show. It's so so fresh, and uh, I, I'm just a big fan of that show. So that's how I came across Abby. Um, I'm not, I was just a big fan of her. Um, and you know, it got exciting to find it. You know, she she does something very different. She's she's not she's not playing that same kind of character. Um, and in fact, you know, it was a revelation for me to discover that she's a true actress. Um, Abby can do drama. I mean, this movie's not necessarily not drama, but she there's a couple scenes where she is playing, uh, especially near the end. You know, more dramatic. And that, that was a revelation. She's really a true actress. Actress. And, uh, and you know, I'm excited for her career. She has great taste in uh, um, um, movies, and uh, she wants. To, and she's a writer also, so I, I'm excited to see what she does as an actress. Mm-hmm. And then, then you latch on to Michael Sarah, who he's got one scene where he just goes over the top, which is hilarious. Uh, you know, and I just, and I think the pairing of Michael and Abby—they really play the chemistry between the two because of the differences of the characters yeah. plays so well. Yeah, yeah, I was really impressed. I mean, really impressed with that. Yeah, I mean, those two are those two really are community geniuses in my mind. Um, but we're we, you know we're also not playing it for a full. Oh, this is not a broad comedy or anything like that. Right. But um, of course, yeah, I was. So excited to have those two people who I who I'm big fans of uh, playing in a movie together. Uh, yeah, I, I was very happy. And of course, you get a legend like Philip Baker Hall, who you could put him in. I mean, I'll see him in anything. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Michaela Watkins, she is she's delicious behind with the hair down and the and the dark, oversized Jackie O sunglasses and always in black. I mean, she is. She adds this great nuance, um, just with movements and with some vocal inflections that really sell the character, and that I just found fascinating to watch her in the scenes that she had and how she interacts with each of the people as she encounters them. Yeah, I mean, she's another person I'm a fan of, and so getting her in a movie was was quite exciting too. She, I mean, like Phil Baker Hall, you know, she pops up in movies all the time, and. I'm always uh, like, and, and you know, I'm always very excited when I see her in a movie. So, was it a surprise to you when you did pull in Philip Baker Hall, Michaela Watkins, Michael Sarah? Did that surprise you when they signed on to the film? Um, um, I, I think everything was happening so fast uh, <laughs> that I didn't, I, I wasn't thinking too much. I, I was just so happy, so. Um, they were all responding. They, they, they all felt very strongly about the script, and they were all very dedicated to the the movie. So, I, I mean, only in high did I look back and think, "Oh, wow, man, I was I was working with these guys." But we were also we are all uh, it was sort of intimate, and um, everybody was so dedicated that I, I, I considered it to be sort of equal. So, if I had non actor. Uh, versus the professional actors. I, I wasn't thinking anything differently. I wasn't sitting there thinking that. I mean, every once in a while, glimpse of that, I think, oh, my man, this is Philip Baker Hall. But, I, <laughs> but it doesn't work if you're thinking that way. So I didn't, I didn't actually get the chance or the time to. If, maybe if we had cast them all a little bit earlier and I had some time to think about it. But uh, the thing was happening so fast. Mm-hmm. I was just enjoying myself. So I, did they know that you would be shooting in 16 millimeter when they signed on? Did you know you'd be shooting in 16? Yeah, that was already that was happening. But, you know, they, they all watched the short, too, and shorts on in 16. So uh, every, everybody knew that going in, yeah. So talk to me about electing to shoot in 16 and the benefits of shooting in 16 for this film and then working with your DP, Ashley Connor. In creating this visual tonal bandwidth that you have, yeah, I mean, yeah, Ashley's worked in. Ashley's been a very, you know, she's a she's a strong um, 
a champion of film, but she, this is her first uh, feature on, on celluloid and, and on 16. Um, so she was quite excited uh, for that. Um, I mean, for this movie, it just seemed right. I don't, I don't know who it again, but uh, this movie just seemed to have that kind of uh, uh, vibe that it needed uh, to have this sort of analog kind of feeling. Um, but yeah, we were going for it. We we're going definitely going for a clean 16. Uh, a, a lot of, you know, we're trying to fight against having too much grain in there because it's not necessarily, you know, it's, a, it's not a gritty move or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So, and I also really like 16 there. Um, but it, yeah, I love 16 uh, for this, for this project. It seemed uh, what it, what it needed. Mm-hmm. How difficult, because you've got a multiplicity of sets going on in here. How challenging were, was it to find the locations? And then with some of them, you know, you're in, you know, the watchmaker's shop in that back room. That's very claustrophobic. It's very small. So you've got your your camera in there, you know, your, your lighting for that. But you're creating different looks in each place that you're going. So how challenging was it to find your locations, number one, and then work within the confines of the physical space? I mean, yeah, that was definitely locations were the one one of the biggest challenges, if not the biggest challenge of the movie. We had so many locations and uh, such a tight schedule um, that it was actually quite difficult. We were doing a lot of moves, and um, and uh, you know the production team would you know have everything ready bef- the day before, or they'd be working while we we're at one location before we got to another one. And um, it was actually you know pretty fast moving, and some of the locations were yeah, very difficult and. Um, you know, we lost a couple locations, uh, and we'd have to get them very fast. And sometimes we'd go up and had never been to a location. We had to shoot there. Um, and uh, But uh, sometimes, you know, you get up, in, and it's very helpful, and other times it's really very difficult and um, hard to deal with, uh, just having to change shot lists uh, very quickly <laughs> for new locations. Um, but the clock shop is something built, actually. Uh, that whole thing is built inside of an old optometrist uh, office. That was wow. Empty. We couldn't find a big enough clock shop in Manhattan. Um, they're all very tiny, small. And, I mean, that back room, yeah, was small. Uh, the front, so the, you know, to a clock shop, they were all very and So we ended up having to, to build that. Um, and, you know, the production designer, Katie Hickman, and her team did an amazing job building that stuff. Um, yeah. Well, the production design all around is incredible. When you look at the different living spaces, of people, I mean, you look at Ray and his girlfriend's, you know, her house, her room. You look at Benny's apartment. Um, you look at the apartment of the hustler that that conned Benny. Um, you know, such detail went into the production design, down to the chairs, down to the plants, down to the tchotchkes that are that are sitting on shelves. You know, was this a yeah. whole? How did you develop the the specific look that you wanted? And then work with Katie to execute. Yeah, well, we, uh, you know, again, it was it was a search for uh, a variety. Again, because you're again dealing with so many different kinds of people, we we were looking for a different kind of um, a variety. Like you know, like the the you know the teenage stuff. You can tell that there's a little bit more money with the families, um, especially the, the best friend. That place is very nice, and so is so is her place also. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get to Benny, and you know Benny and Ray's place is a little bit, uh, you know, it's more lived in in, in, a, in a certain kind of way. Um, so yeah, we were we we dealt with, you know, we went we just would go through other movies and pictures and photos that I would find on the internet, and 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 then she would come to me with stuff, and I would you know we would find what was right, and from there. Did you put? Did, yeah. I, did you put together any kind of lookbook or anything for refer for uh, reference to develop the look? Um, it wasn't a lookbook necessarily, but it was you know similar to a lookbook where with a lot of photos that I had uh, that I had grabbed um, from you know finding a lot of photos. So yeah, we it was it was similar to a but it was official lookbook. I, there wasn't actually uh, the way things were moving. Um, I didn't I didn't create a lookbook because I didn't need a lookbook for um, for financing, which is sort of where I've where I've had books in the um, or or I think a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I, I, I did, uh, I did, it wasn't an official one, but there were a lot of photos, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, now you also did the editing on Person to Person, correct? Yep, I did, yeah. 
So now how does that, when you, your writer, director, and your editor, and I know every yeah. writer, director, editor, they all have a different approach. How do you approach the actual filming then? Are you editing in your mind as you go or editing, you know, dailies? Because you are shooting on film. You know, some people, yeah. they'll, when they're shooting digitally, they'll just keep going and going and figure out oh, I can cut afterwards. But with film, you know, it's expensive. And it's more time-consuming. So are you more judicious in thinking in an editorial, with an editorial eye as you're shooting? Um, yeah, but that, yeah, I, I am there. I, I'm, I'm editing while I'm, when I'm writing, basically. Uh, I'm already thinking about the edit when I'm writing. Um, and uh, so, I mean, in this instance, the script was very tight and sort of, you could, when you read it, you could feel like, uh, you could feel how it was going to be edited, basically. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I don't. It, I do that regardless if it's going to be digital or film. I'm already. I'm already editing. So I'm, I wasn't being judicial uh, with the. And, and our schedule. Our schedule was the thing that dictated how much time we had. So it's not like I would have shot different. Uh, for some things, yes. But for the most part, I wouldn't have shot things differently if we were shooting digital. It's just how the production was. Um, but I'm. Yeah, I was, I'm definitely editing while I'm while I'm shooting, and I know where cut, some cuts are going to be, and sometimes I'm wrong. Um, I mean, probably half the time I sort of know where the cuts are going to be, but, you know, being the editor and, and knowing what I want, um, you know, I, I, it's easier for me to shoot, you know, like, uh, I, I know, since I know where a lot of cuts are going to be, it's easier for me to shoot like half takes of half of the dialogue and then, and then move on to the, to a different angle with half, you know, the rest of the dialogue mm-hmm. or things like that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm certainly already editing the movie in my mind when I'm shooting. You know, and mentioning the dialogue, you know, and because you said the script was tight, you know, going in, you had it, you know, it was already very, very tightly, you know, constructed. Was there any latitude for ad-libbing by your performers? No, yeah, we didn't have, we didn't, we didn't have time for that at all. Um, And, you know, it maybe, you know, I, 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 uh, there was one time Michael did a little bit of ad libbing, and then I, I was like, "Oh man, it'd be great if we, you know, it'd be fun if with these two guys, Ab, you know, Michael and Abby, especially, you know, those two, just like let them sort of riff." But there wasn't, there wasn't even time for that, and the script was so tight in regards to what I wanted to say and how I wanted things to operate that, uh, yeah, there was there was really there's really no ad libbing. The whole thing's the whole thing's scripted. Mm-hmm. Well, something that is, I think, perhaps the single greatest standout in person to person is your music where how i mean absolutely incredible music throughout the entire film how did you decide on the musical tone that you wanted and then how did you go about finding all of this all of these songs that you have incorporated um I mean, it was it was it was quite a challenge, actually. I mean, I, I had to find all that stuff in post, and um, it's all soul music uh, for the most part. I mean, you know, you there are, there are musical pokes to the movie with Michael and heavy, you know, the heavy metal stuff, which contrasts with the, you know a lot with the soul. Um, but um, um, uh, yeah, I, I, the the short film also had uh, uh, soul music, and Benny I, I, Benny's favorite music is soul. So I I, I knew that you know sort of that the uh, a way to keep the movie together and consistent was that the thread would almost be Benny and that the soul music would also be very helpful in, in connecting all that thread. So um, I didn't know how much soul music I was going to end up using, and then in the edit I started to discover how much I, I would need. Um, um, and, but, you know, with with uh, with a limited budget, it got very, you know, I was putting stuff in there that I already knew, and it ended up being that I had to start almost, there, you know, everything had to be sort of rare and stuff I didn't know. Um, because of our budget, um, so I worked with I worked with Arrow Group, which is a which is a, uh, a record publishing company that uh, has a lot of soul music. Um, I worked, uh, you know, primarily with them and find stuff in their catalog that would work for the movie. Um, but yeah, I chose it all. It was it was it was quite it was quite difficult to find all the right all the right stuff. Well, I I think that you made incredible choices with the music, and as you said, that that is the thread that carries through the entire film that is the connective tissue you know which music is that is what connects everybody connects the world in a great sense music and movies and here you have all these different lives and while they don't necessarily intersect 
they are intersecting by, you know, the music of, of the world around them, which is what your, your soundtrack uh, ends up being. I couldn't believe it when I heard, you know, Redbone one more time in there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, oh, my God. And then to see the number of songs that you have. You know, uh, the first thing I thought was, oh, my God, the entire budget went for licensing music. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly low for how, much, how we, you know, we didn't really have that much money. So it, 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 that's, what, that's where all the work went into is, like, how, how do we make it feel like a, it was a bigger budget, the, the music? Because we do have so much songs in there. Um, how do we make it, how do we keep it so that it doesn't feel cheap or anything like that? And, and, and you know, fill up the movie and, uh, and keep that going, yeah. But you also very keenly, each song is placed very judi- judiciously, and you do, and you find a great sonic balance. Your sound design and mix, so we don't lose dialogue. We're not overpowered by music. We we hear ambient sound. You know that's generally very tricky because when you get this this many songs incorporated somewhere, I know the tendency for many is oh let's hear all the songs, whereas. You know, most you should be more inclined in most cases to let's just have it as the under as the underscore. And I think you did a beautiful job with the sound mix, coming up with with yeah, the balance. I'm, yeah, I'm very careful about uh, what music you know if music's underscoring or or coming. You know, I I, I don't I don't like uh, use it in a in a in a big way necessarily. I'll I'll do it every once in a while in the in the, in the right moment. But I'm I'm very careful of levels and, and where the and exactly the cues and where they come in mm-hmm. and uh and uh where they go out and and uh, you know if i don't i don't like to uh overemphasize the music if, if unless it's the exact right moment mm-hmm. so i have to ask you dustin we're almost out of time today but i have to ask you you know with the, the ongoing debate digital versus film here you are you're shooting in 16 millimeter and as you said you shot digitally as well where where do you lie in terms of the debate? You know, is there room for both? Do you have a preference of one over the over the other, and why? Um, I have a. I, I mean, my preference is film, but not you know, not necessarily sixteen. I want to I want to shoot on thirty five next. Um, mm-hmm. But it's not. I don't. I don't. I'm not against digital anyway, and I'll work. I'll kid. I'll, I'll work on digital in the future for sure. I I, I have no problem with it at all. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think I think the people who stick up for film and keep shooting on film just hope that there's room for both, and it appears to still be fine. And um, I think we're okay right now. So uh, I, I, I would it would be I think it would be a tragedy if film went away. So, um, uh, but yeah, I don't I I, 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 I I love both. I do actually love both, but I do love film a little bit more, and I hope it sticks around. <laughs> so, what is the greatest gift that filmmaking gives you that keeps you sticking around? Um, uh, I mean, I, I just like working with people, you know, I, I love, uh, I, I, it's, it, making a movie is, is such a great adventure and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's so, uh, uh, I, yeah, I think that's my thing is just working with everybody else. So now person to person in theaters this Friday, the 28th in New York, in LA, any other cities this Friday? Not this Friday, and then yeah, after after this next the week after, and then the next week after that, and a couple other weeks. Uh, yes, Friday okay. around. So you're going to do a platform. You're going to do a platform releasing then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So where in New York can people? I know in L.A. they can they can see person to person at the New Art. Where yep. where in New York can people? And then in New York, two of my favorite places: Metrograph and the Lincoln Center. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Dustin, I can't thank you enough. This is this has been a, a real treat having you join me today on Behind the thank Lens, you. talking about person very to person. Happy. I mean, I hope yep, you. Very happy to I hope you will come back on the show again. Yep. It, with your next films, uh, and I hope I see many more of them from you. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Dustin. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that was Dustin Guy DeFay with his film Person to Person in theaters on a platform releasing schedule New York and L.A. this Friday the 28th and then expanding thereafter. Um, So and that is 
That's all that Pam's nodding her head. Yes, that is all the time we have today. Next week in studio, I think she's in studio, Janess Rousey will be with us talking about her new web series, Becca on Call. And uh, I'm sure I'll have somebody else calling in and some interesting interviews for you. But until then, so this Friday, Imperfections opens. Person to Person opens. Saturday, first annual Earth Focus Environmental Film Festival at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood for those of you in L.A. Until until next week, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.